So we are starting a journey, a three-week journey today, that we will be going on during our family Sunday services. So once every five Sundays, when there's five Sundays in a month, we will be going into the prodigal son story. But as we do for three weeks, we're going to look at three different characters. Today, we'll be looking at the actual prodigal son. The next family Sunday, we will be looking at the son who stayed. And then the final family Sunday, we will be looking at the father. And I think as we look at those stories, there's key aspects to each person in the story that that is so good for us to know. As we reflect, and, and, and let's be honest, probably some people in this room have, may have heard this story a hundred times, maybe even more. I remember hearing this story with flannel graphs. Anybody remember those? Some of you guys maybe have taught with flannel graphs. But as we look at this story, we have to remember that the holy, infinite, never-changing, all-loving, all-powerful, self-sufficient, gracious, and merciful God welcomes and forgives repentant sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this moment, for this day, for us to glorify you. So Lord, as we seek to know you more and to know your compassion, Lord, I ask that you just help us in knowing as we want to not just know you, but love you and follow you each and every moment of our life. We can only do that with your help. So Lord, we ask that you just be with us today as we look at your text to glorify you and to treasure you. So be with us today in your gracious and holy name we ask, amen. Now, as we look at this, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24, I think it's vital for us to actually go back a little bit earlier in the verses 1 and 2 to understand who Jesus is actually telling this parable to, this story to. If you read with me, we're going to see two groups of people. In verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So right from the first verse, we see two groups of people. First, we see the the tax collectors and the sinners. And then we also see the Pharisees and the scribes. As we look at this, the tax collectors and the sinners, they drew near to him because he cared for them not because he catered to them or he compromised on his his message for them. Now, these are people that were often criticized or looked down upon by the Pharisees, yet Jesus understood their needs and tried to help them. It was Jesus teaching in a way that they were able to understand, and the people were listening to him as they sensed the things that he was saying, the things that he has done, were the things that they needed to hear and the things they needed to see. And yet the other group of people, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had a knowledge of the Old Testament law, and they had a desire for personal purity, personal cleanliness. Yet sadly, they had no love for the lost souls. 
In the text, it says that they grumbled. Now, that could be translated as to complaining or murmuring in verse 2. They did not like what Jesus has been doing. So imagine as Jesus is telling these parables one after another after another, you see, and sometimes maybe you've actually experienced this, someone standing off to the side with the stink face. (sighs) Here we go again. This Jesus guy telling these stories. And in this time, if Jesus was a rabbi, if Jesus was a teacher in the eyes of the Pharisees and scribes, he would not be welcoming in the tax collectors or the sinners. He definitely would not be sitting crisscross applesauce and eating with them. That was a no-no. And yet they missed it. They missed who Jesus was. They missed the words that Jesus was saying. They missed who Jesus truly was. For as Paul states to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 and 16, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Paul saying, I am the leading. But I receive mercy, but I receive mercy for this reason, that me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ must display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him, that being Jesus Christ, for eternal life. And so in this section, Luke 15, we see Jesus tell three stories, three parables, these stories with a message, and the theme is lostness. The first story we see is is simply uh, the story of the lost sheep. Then it moves to the lost coin. And then from there, it moves to two lost sons. I said two for a reason. We'll be covering that second son in the next Family Sunday. And as the stories build, the pressure builds as well. But see, there is joy when the shepherd comes back with his sheep. There is joy when the woman finds her coin. And as Luke 15 verse 7 says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the other 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I think we need to remember these types of things, that the people that Jesus is telling these parables to when we look at this section of the text. And today there's going to be three R words that we're going to be looking at. The first, starting in verse 11, will be rebellion. Let's look at it together. In verse 11 it says, And he said, that being Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, this younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. Verse 15 says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So we see right from the beginning, we see a father and two sons. And most of the time, as we look at this story, we always focus on the prodigal son. 
And like I said earlier, today we're covering the prodigal son. Next Family Sunday, we will cover the other lost son. And as we read in verse 12, the younger son said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, according to Jewish law in this time, an elderly son, the older sons, would receive twice as much as the other sons based on Deuteronomy 21, verse 17. And the father could distribute his wealth during the lifetime if he wished. Now, it was legal for the son to ask for his share of the estate. And when we mean the estate, we're talking the, the, the money, the land, the, 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 the things inside the house, the clothes inside the house, maybe the goat or the chickens or maybe the mini horse. Everything was divided. But it was legal for a son to ask for his share of the state. But it was not the loving thing to do. It's like saying, I, I, I want to leave you and... and and all the things that I'm supposed to get, give it to me. It's like saying, I, I, I want everything that I'm supposed to have from you, but I don't really care about you, Dad. To be honest, it's essentially saying, Dad, I think of you as dead. Give me the things that I'm deserving of when you do die. It's that feeling that, that sometimes we hear, I want to do things on my own. I don't need you. And as I was looking at the text this week, I was like, man, the father's heart had to have been broken. We got uh, a photo of my uh, a year and a half old, if we could show that real quick. This is, uh, this is my son, Scotty, Scott, Bubba. Um, about a month ago, he said no to me for the first time. <laughs> he said it back to back. He has not repeated it. Um, but, but I say that because I remember when he said no. And as a father, I was like, whoa. We, we don't say that word. You, you, I'm your dad. And I think of that, that's just, I've ha we've had him for a little under a year and a half. I imagine the, the longevity and, and fathers, you know, as having kids and the years that go by, the experiences, the, the timing that you've spent with your kids, the love and care that you've given to your kids. And then to hear your kids say, Dad, essentially, I think of you as dead. Give me the things that I deserve. I think when we're headed for trouble, when we value the things more than people. See, we were made for relationships, and, and, and when we value things over people, we're missing it. Earlier uh, on in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus actually warns two uh, disputing brothers to guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, no matter how much stuff we acquire in this life, things of this world can never truly satisfy us. I was telling first service, it seems like every year a new one of these comes out. And it seems like just as the new one came out, this one starts to get a little slower. 
And man, as I'm trying to get my emails or, or text my wife back, my phone's a little slower. And, and I don't know pixels or how the cameras all function. I just know, hey, there's three cameras on the back of here now. And man, those pictures look a lot better. Some of our students are like, yeah, you don't know that? Jeez. I remember when I had a backpack full of books and a three-ring binder full of papers. I see students with laptops now. I go to dinner with my wife, and we see kids with iPads playing games. And each year, a new one comes out. We're always wanting the newest thing. We're always wanting the best thing. You even think about experiences. We're always chasing experiences. Man, this was good, but, but this is even better. And we see that in verse 13. It states, not many days later, the younger son gathered up all he took, all he had, and took a journey into the far country. We see that this is actually a planned exit. This wasn't a wake up one morning and decide to leave. Remember, he had all of the inheritance. So as he has all that, he needs to either take it with him or sell it. Well, you can't sell land, so he had to know who to sell the land to to be able to take that wealth. I can't imagine, maybe he has chickens. I, I don't know why I keep going back to chickens. Uh, uh, we have a neighbor who has a mini horse, so that's like been on my mind the last week. But you can't take chickens and a mini horse and go to a far country. So you have to sell one or the other. This was thought out. The son took all that he had. He had no intention of coming back. He didn't leave clothes at his parents' house. He didn't leave parchment to read if he ever came home. And he definitely didn't leave a bed at his father's house so that he could come back on a, another weekend or during the holidays. He had no intention of coming back. And as we move into verse 14, he went to a faraway land as he could. And he enjoyed the party life. He spent all that he had. But the life in the far country was not what he expected. Like I was talking earlier, we are chasing sometimes that next experience. We're chasing that next meal. We're chasing that next sip of that drink. Desiring that that's going to bring us fulfillment more and more. Well, man, that steak was good. But this one has five Yelp reviews that are all five stars. Man, I had to put a reservation in three months before. Imagine how much that steak's going to melt inside my mouth. Oh, I can't wait for that experience. He was completely to blame for his wasteful, foolish spending of all that he had. But we read in that verse also, a famine comes. Now, as the famine came, he was not to blame for the famine, but he did suffer from it nonetheless. And as we read in verses 15 and 16, we see that he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to the pigs. And it got bad, bad enough that it says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Feeding pigs. I, I, I don't know, we, we just moved into Norco, and I don't know if our house backs up into what was a former pig. Uh, 
area or a cow area. Now, I'm not saying feeding pigs is a bad job. But please know what a job feeding pigs were for a Jewish boy. It's not a bad job. But imagine how that son must have felt, that fall from grace, especially even where he came from. His money and his resources are gone. The friends at all the parties are gone. The famine came and he desired to eat the foods that the pigs were eating. He was also doing the one thing that he didn't do for his father, but he did for a stranger, and that was to work. He was hungry. He was in need. He accepted work that was both unacceptable and also offensive to any Jewish person because pigs were unclean under the law, as we can see in Leviticus 11, verse 7. Don't miss this. The younger son, he was alone. He had no one. He had nothing. And this is the scene in the story as Jesus is really wanting to emphasize what sin really does in the lives of those who reject the Father's will. Please don't miss it. Sin promises to bring us freedom, but truly only brings us, as John 8, 34, it brings us slavery. Sin promises to give us success, but it really only brings us failures. Sin promises that it's going to bring us life. But as we read in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And just like in today's world, the boy thought that he could find himself. He could find freedom as he went away. But he only became that much more lonely and lost and in chains. See, when God is left out of our lives, enjoyment becomes enslavement. This is why I say we have to remember the context of the story and especially who Jesus is telling these parables to. Remember, the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled, they complained as Jesus was teaching this parable. I imagine them sitting there listening and thinking, man, this son, good for him. He left his father. He's getting what he deserves. Man, you, you made your bed, go lay in it. You left your father. Good for you. That other group of people, that second group, the tax collectors and sinners, I imagine they were listening, being captivated. I bet they were thinking, man, I... This story, this rabbi that, that, that's telling this story, this story sounds so familiar. And as we read the section before, and we said that that first R word was rebellion, the second of the R words is now repentance. Essentially coming to self, for, for, for he says, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Make me and treat me, we see in verse 17, if you read with me. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. See, this is where we see a change occur. This is where we see a change of heart. Now that phrase, come to himself, carries really a a Hebrew or uh, Arabic idea of repentance. Really thinking of of the mistakes, the the faults that we have made, and and really changing our ideas. It's actually really going, hey, I've been going this way all along, knowing that I've been doing wrong, knowing that I've been messing up, and knowing that I need to go in the opposite direction. I can't do this anymore. I need to go in the right way. See, this son, who was once sick of being home, has become homesick. And he's desiring to go home. And here in verse 17, we start reading the young son's monologue or inner speech about his father and the hired servants. And he actually names the the father three times. And and like I, I remember from elementary and especially I remember from my parents, kids remember that if a parent or an adult tells you something over and over and over and over and over and over it's good for you to pay attention to it. Usually it means, hey, you're supposed to do this. Pay attention. The son mentions the father three times by name and talks about the father's hired servants. And please know, these hired servants weren't servants that had a a house on the property, a place for them to stay. These weren't servants that the family and the, the father would know by name. These weren't servants that, 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 you know, week in, week out would do the same things, that, that kind of had every year the same thing occur for them. These hired servants were, were day workers. They were actually outside the property, outside the gates, Hoping, waiting each day to be selected to come onto the property by the father, by the taskmaster, to be able to do the job that was selected for them to do. These were the day workers. These were the servants that the son is thinking about. All while he, the young son, was starving You ever get to that place where you're feeling like, man, I have not eaten for weeks? Maybe you talk to your kids, especially your junior hires, high schoolers, and they're like, man, I haven't eaten in forever. (laughs) I remember when I was in Boy Scout camp, uh, going to Boy Scout camp was great, except for the food. (laughs) The food that we actually looked forward to, please know, this is a Boy Scout camp full of boys. We looked forward to the salad bar. That tells you how good the other food was. We, maybe it's changed over time. Boy Scouts have changed real dramatically over the last couple years. But what I'm saying is when we were there, man, the food, the line for, for the salad bar was longer than the line for the other food. And so for a full week, we are hungry. We're like, man, this iceberg lettuce sure has some good water in it. But see, there was a glorious day. That final day, we packed up. We got on the road. We started driving on the freeway home. And then we would be getting off the freeway, and we would see this 
amazing, just uh, glorious sign that was white and red that read in and out. <laughs> and then we would get there, and a double-double with onions, because I think that's the only way to eat a true hamburger, with fries and a drink, that hunger was no more. See, the son knows that those hired servants were being cared better for, looked after more, and treated better, and were even in a better position than he was himself. Imagine this young Jewish boy standing in the fields, doing the work that he is now having to do, feeding pigs, waiting, wishing he was eating that food. And we actually read as you continue on with his monologue in verses 18 and verses 19. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, as I was going through this, I started imagining myself Imagining the thoughts that, 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 that could be plaguing his head. Maybe the father is going to react and say, man, son, you deserve this. I mean, you, you got yourself into the pig trough, now lay in it. Maybe the, the, the father is going to shake his head in disgust. Maybe he's going to belittle him. You think about maybe the, the, the thought of the father making the son go around the property and come in the back door so none of the neighbors or, or anybody else in the village would see him. Or better yet, hey, you know what? Come back at night because then no one will see you. I imagine even the thought myself of maybe even the father having a servant go out and telling his son, your, your dad doesn't even want to see you or talk to you. But see, this is where we have to read the text. Unlike the shepherd and the woman in the previous parables and stories, the father did not go to seek the prodigal son. But the memory of the father's goodness is what brought the boy to repentance and seeking forgiveness. It is remembering who the father is the compassion, the mercy, the love, the grace, knowing who his father is. That's what leads him to take one step after another, after another, to his father. See, repentance lies at the heart of the words that the son prepares to tell his father. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, or some translations say, make me one of your hired servants. See, I think this is the thing we don't want to miss today. That the relationship between him and the father was broken because he turned his back to his father. I remember, to me, the prayer, the night that, that, that I gave my life to the, war, the, the, to the Lord, uh, of treasuring Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I remember saying, God, I spit in your face daily, yet you still love me. God, I push you away daily, yet you still love me. 
It's that humbleness. It's, it's the, I have nothing. There is nothing that I have that I could ever bring to you that, that, that makes me in a place that, that I should even be in your presence. All I know is that everything I have done, I have done wrong. And I need you. It's knowing that, that, that everything in front of me I'm putting trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There's nothing I bring to the table. So God, I'm just trusting in you. And that's the heart of this. We need to come back to him first. Not the church, not, not friends, not my pastor or friends when I was a, a high school and junior high student. It was I needed to come back to God. He's the only one that could clean me. It's not me trying to, oh, I remember at, at, at Boy Scout camp, not to make anything bad about Boy Scout camp, but, but they had this weird rule where it's like you need to shower before you get in the pool, but you literally walking through the shower was this. Okay, you could go. Like water was rinsing and you just go like this. Okay, you could go. And I had a friend that worked at the camp. I was like, help me understand how logical that was actually to clean me so that I'm clean as I get into the pool. Because guess what? I've been living in an in a army uh, tent. I've been walking in dirt, playing in dirt, active in dirt. Do you think this is really going to clean me before I get in the pool? And I think sometimes we think we have to do things before we come to God. I, I got to go to church. I got to read my Bible. I got to talk to this pastor or this person. It's go to God. That's why I love this church. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Michael. It's not about anybody serving here. It's about Jesus. See, the story doesn't say that the young son thought of his home, thought of his village. He thought of his father. And as the son was walking and preparing his speech to his father, he knows he is unworthy. And in his speech, he is ready to give an honest confession of his sin. And in his unworthiness, in his confession, he seeks not to be treated as a son, but as a hired day worker. This speech, this monologue shows the complete change of thinking. No attempt to justify what he has done. No story, no excuse to cover up the things that he has done. Dad, I've messed up. I, I, I'm admitting my fault. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Treat me as your hired servants. This is where the story goes from father give me to father make me. It's a completely different train of thought. And it's in that train of thought we see the thought of the father, the young son, and even his home is now different. But we have to remember who is listening to this parable. Back to verse 1 and 2. The Pharisees and the scribes. I imagine they're thinking, man, where is Jesus going with this story? What is he saying? This is so dumb. He deserves what he gets. This kid is dirty. This kid has been with pigs. He shouldn't be going back to the father. He should stay where he stayed. 
All along while, the tax collectors and the sinners sitting there transfixed on every word that Jesus is saying. I imagine them thinking, I can't believe this. What is going to happen next? I imagine them thinking, man, maybe there's a happy story at the end of this. And like we said, three R's in this story. Rebellion, repentance, we come to the last one. Rejoicing. We see compassion. We see confession. We see celebration. If you read with me in verse 20. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. And the words, oh, these good words, verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In this section we see that we that, that, that the son, the young son, may have been away from the father, but not away from the father's heart. We read in verse 20 that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion. He felt compassion, I just need to say that again, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. No doubt the son was dirty. No doubt he was covered in head to toe. Probably smelling really disgusting. And what do we read? That the father embraced him and kissed him. If you actually look, and we'll talk about this deeper in Two Family Sundays, but the way of embracing was not what we call the youth pastor hug or the old lady hug or the... Sorry, I did not mean that. <clears throat> um, I'm going to get in so much trouble for that one. Woo! Man. Yeah, there we go. It's hard. Um, it, it, it's like this hug that, that, that I think of when, when I come down the stairs after second service and my son sees me for the first time that day. He, he just puts his hands like this knowing that I'm going to come up, grab him, pick him up with both arms and lift him high in the sky. It says it kissed, he, he, the father kissed the son. And it wasn't just the type of kiss. This kiss that, 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 that they actually talk about, it's kind of like a puppy when you get home for the first time in the day where you're kind of like, no, like, I don't want to shower after because, man, you are trying to kiss me all over the place. It's the compassion the father has. I mean, like I said, the, the son was dirty. He was ragged. He was filthy. Once before, he was finally manicured, the prince of the party, And now he returns with nothing, thinking thinking of himself as an orphan because of his sin. He has no claim to the family. His earlier request was then wasted of all his inheritance, his share of the family. As he comes back, he does not expect to be treated like a son. 
And as he has planned, he begins to to give his confession that he has practiced on the way home. Verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, that son's repentance creates a display of showing God's mercy. And the son understands that he has first sinned against heaven, meaning God, and then to his father. He understands the order And see, if our vertical relationship is off, all of our horizontal relationships will be off as well. And Jesus is making the point that our relationships with others won't be what they were created to be like if our relationship with God is off. But it's interesting as you read the speech, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It stops there. Now, as commentators and theologians, there's two trains of thought here. One is that he knew that he was giving an honest confession and that he has been welcomed home so the young son does not continue on with his monologue. The other is out of the compassion that the father has the father actually cuts off his son's speech and didn't need to hear any more. See, in the far country, the prodigal learned the meaning of misery seeking freedom. But back at home, back with his father, he discovered the meaning of mercy. If you read in verse 22 and 23, it says, But my father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Now, like I said earlier, in two family Sundays, we will cover the father in this part of the story. With him and both of the brothers. But the ring here, the ring is a sign of sonship. And and the robe that is put on would be the best robe. A.K.A. the father's own robe as proof of acceptance back into the family. Servants did not wear rings in this time. They did not wear expensive garments. They didn't even wear shoes. And this feast was the father's way of showing the joy that he had in sharing it with others as the son has returned. I mean, just imagine the joy the father had The boy that had been dealt, if he had been dealt with according to the law, he would have had a funeral instead of a feast. And I think that puts it in the context, if we really look at who is reading or listening to at this moment, going back to verse 1 and 2, the Pharisees and the scribes listening, here we go again. This Jesus guy, he can't keep saying these things, doing these things. Look at how the others are reacting. I mean, let's think about if if we're in the story that Jesus is saying, I mean, think of all the the, the neighbors or the people in the village seeing this father run, seeing this father lift up his robes and run to his kid and then pick him up. The kid was dirty. The kid was filthy. And then he's kissing him. Ah, Jesus, you don't get this. And then thinking, man, look at the effect he's having on these people. 
And these people, the tax collectors and sinners, sitting there transfixed on every syllable that Jesus is saying. I imagine just, I can't, I can't believe the words that Jesus is saying. I want this. I need that. I desire to have that father. I need that. It's interesting to hear the father's description of the son's experience. And as we close today, it goes back to verse 24. For this son was dead and is alive again. This son was lost and is found again. See, this is the the spiritual experience of every lost sinner who comes to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't miss the parallels between the prodigal coming to the Father and our coming to the Father through Jesus Christ found in John 14, verse 6. The son in the story in verse 24, he was lost. And as we read in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. The son, he was following lies in verse 17 before he came to. And in verse uh, 6 of John 14, Jesus says, I am the truth. And lastly, the son was described as dead in verse 24. And Jesus says, I am the way in John 14, 6. See, there is only one way to come to the Father, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I love this church. This is the truth. Jesus is the only way. The question is, have you come home? Remember, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you need to get right with Jesus? Maybe some of us today, instead of asking, because we've maybe asked for too long, Father, give me. Maybe today we start saying, Father, make me. It's that humbleness. It's that eagerness. It's that desire for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you love us, you love us, you love us. And Lord, I thank you for that love. I thank you for what you have sent your son who could only do what he did, who only is who he is. Lord, let us seek to just be humble, to treasure you above all other things, to confess, Lord, we've all fallen short of your glory, every single one of us, even if the best of us put our, la- our, our live, the last 24 hours on this screen and we all watched it, none of us would want to see it for we've all fallen short of your glory. And as we put our faith in Jesus, only in Jesus, trusting him as Lord and Savior, we can be reconciled to you, Father. So Lord, I pray today For those who may not have have made that eternal declaration, today, Lord, I pray today is that day. Maybe we have church family members who have family members of their own who uh, who have experienced the prodigal story. And maybe they're still off in the fields. 
Maybe they feel so lost and alone. Lord, I pray that they remember your compassion, your love. Let us, as, as your church, your bride, be willingly not wanting to compromise your message, but lovingly embrace that family for them to know you, ultimately to treasure you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. So be with us as we want to be the best ambassadors for you and your kingdom as we can. We ask this in your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen.